Thank you, Steve. The way, the truth, the life. Jesus is the one we'll be learning from today through our message. And I came to know Jesus at a young age, age six, where my mom invited me to ask Jesus to come into my heart. And we sang a song called Into My Heart, where I first um, understood at a six-year-old level what it meant to have some sort of connection with Jesus, who I would later learn more about as the way, the truth, and the life. And fast forward to when I um, was 18, however many years ago that was, I was about to start college, and I knew that my faith was important to me, and I knew that I wanted to go to a place where I could be surrounded by others who shared my faith. And so I chose to go to a Christian college, specifically uh, an evangelical Protestant Christian college, where not only did others um, value a personal relationship with Jesus, but it was actually required for admission to be part of the college. And so I'm surrounded by people in the dorm, in my classes, all over campus, Christians everywhere. And I loved having the discipleship opportunities. I loved having the small groups. I loved hearing the different uh, perspectives in the chapel services we were required to go to three times a week and hearing about how God doesn't care not only, um, God cares not only about the spiritual life, but all areas of life. One of the phrases that got used a lot in those days was, all truth is God's truth. And if all truth is God's truth, it's this idea that whatever you're studying here as a college student, whether it's computer science or art or economics, it's all part of uh, God's truth. And God has something to say. God cares about those things. And so I, I really grew in my faith um, through some of those deep questions that were stirring in me in the, the college years. But sometimes it was challenging where we would learn all these great Christian things about the Bible and about God and about prayer. But who do we share it with if everyone already knows Jesus? Um, we have to leave the bubble. We have to leave campus. We have to make a special trip to get away from the Christians so that we can uh, talk with people who are different. And I remember my sarcastic side coming out one time or maybe several times where I was walking down the hall of my dorm and I was just saying to people, so what's your faith background? Oh, you're a Christian. And how about you? Oh, you're a Christian too. Oh, you're a Christian too. Wow, everyone's a Christian. Well, um, who are we supposed to witness to here? We're all just in this, in this bubble. Um, there, there were there were some funny things though about about being in that space, and um, I will I will share one of the one of the examples of that where you know we talk about the Bible all the time and God all the time, and sometimes it it, it could be fun, right? Like there was a girls' dorm um, that had this quote put up in the hallway: "Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me," and you know. You know, that, that, was, that was the girls' dorms way of, of having fun with this reality that everyone's, you know, trying to find someone to get, to get married to. Um, another thing that would happen sometimes is we would use this question, is it biblical 
um, on various signs around campus that had nothing to do really with the Bible. So it'd be like an ad for join the chess club. And then someone would write, is this biblical? Or it would be, you know, come and find out information on, you know, the next fire drill or whatever. Is this biblical? Because we were just so, you know, steeped in this in this, this culture of, of scripture, which, which was great a lot of the time, but other times it was just looking for ways to, to come out. And so um, today we are gonna be looking at this theme of salt and light. How do we be salt and light in the real world outside of our Christian circles, which honestly for me is hard because so many of my friends today, um, not just because of the college I went to, but because of the work that I do, I'm just surrounded by Christians all the time. Um, And so I need to look to Jesus and I need to look to this Sermon on the Mount to help me understand what it means um, to be salt and to be light in in the real world. So this is the the passage that we're going to be looking at from Matthew 5. It's probably really familiar, but you can follow along on the screen. And this is Jesus talking. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And I was thinking about the difference between salt and sand, because we have so much sand here in Hawaii, right? And they're kind of the same consistency. They even look similar, but you can tell the difference as soon as you taste it, right? If it's just sand, you don't want that on your food. You don't really want that in your kitchen, but if it's salt, wow, you can do all kinds of things with that. And that will really enhance your salad, your sandwich, your leftovers, right? So there's this image of of salt. Um, There's also this image of light. You are the light of the world, Jesus says in verse 14. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And he finishes that little thought by saying, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So just like salt is meant to be tasted, light is meant to be seen. It's meant to be um, shining in some direction so that what you're viewing is, is more clear. And so this is part of a series that we started a few weeks ago, just to give you some context. We're now in week three of our new sermon series, Mending Life, uh, Sowing Jesus Kingdom Culture. And you'll notice there that sowing is spelled S-E-W, because not only do we want to be uh, sowing seeds in the sense of a gardener working in good soil, but we also desire to be sowing in the sense of a needle and a thread. Uh, which can mend pieces of fabric back together or repair clothing that has frayed or ripped or simply been through ordinary uh, wear and tear. And in our household, Rebecca is certainly the expert sewer compared to me. Um, I really don't know much about sewing except for a few movies that have sewing um, in them. Uh, One of them that comes to mind is is a classic from 1986, The Three Amigos where if you've, seen the, if you've seen the Three Amigos, sewing is a very important part of the plot. It's how, they, it's how they save the town. And there's a point where Chevy Chase says, there you go, you can sew. That's gonna be 
the way that, that they do it. So if you've seen the movie, um, you, you'll know how they, they, they use sewing to, to rescue the town. And so Martin Short joins in and says, so very old one, so like the wind. Um, and everyone in the town starts sewing. They're, you know, making these outfits so that everyone looks like the three amigos. If you've, if you've seen this movie, um, some of you were not even born yet when this movie was made. Okay. Um, there's also a cat that sews over and over to help the town. Oh, actually, that's not true. There is no cat in the movie. Um, I just was trying to find a way to, to add a cat into the, into the sermon. So there we go. I've checked the box. There's, there's my sewing cat. <laughs> Got to get the cat in there somehow. But all cat jokes aside, seriously, our hope for this mending series, sewing Jesus's kingdom culture as a pastor team, our hope is that it will put a spotlight on the sower, um, God, the one who heals and mends uh, through Jesus. By sending Jesus, uh, we see God's work of making things right, of mending. Um, that's part of that's part of God's mission, and so. Not only do we want to be people here at Wellspring who are watching God work, seeing God work, which is great, we also want to join God's work of sewing creation back together, even if it's just one stitch at a time, that work of sewing. Even if we don't know how to use a sewing machine, we can be part of God's good work of mending. And in order to do that, as we move from the season of Christmas, which just ended, and now we're in the season of Epiphany, um, as well as the upcoming season of Lent, what we're doing in this particular time, in this particular series, is to really follow and study what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is not only Jesus's most famous set of teachings, it's also the longest continuous section of Jesus's words that we have anywhere, anywhere in scripture. So this is a section where Jesus just gets to have the microphone. Jesus just gets to talk and we get to listen and we get to hear where his heart is, what matters to him, what he wants to pass on to us, what he wants to teach us about what really matters. And it might mean that our understanding needs to change along the way. We might have ideas about what it means to be healed or to be saved or to be a follower of Jesus. But if it doesn't fit in with what Jesus is teaching us in this big, long section, then it's worth asking, you know, can we be open to what Jesus has to say to us in the Sermon on the Mount? And so this whole series is, is based on um, that section from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. And so now what I'm going to do is transition to a little book commercial that is not for my own book. Woohoo! I'm not going to I'm not going to give you a commercial for my book. I'm going to give you a commercial for this other book that is based on the Sermon on the Mount and it's called What if Jesus was serious by Sky Jitani. And Sky uh oops, I'm going backwards here. I'm trying to actually see people's faces. There we go. So, so Sky Jitani is a writer who I've been following for a while. He's a few years older than me. And um, ever since, since college, maybe a little bit after that, um, he writes these really provocative blog posts and he has different books, maybe 10 books now. But this one is like a really thin, easy to read book. 
and it's all based on the Sermon on the Mount. And as you can see from the uh, slide, if you're, if you're able to see the slides, it's a visual guide to the teachings of Jesus that we love to ignore. And so it's got these sketches that he does some amazing theological formation with. He takes these really deep and complex ideas from Jesus' teaching, and then he makes it visual. He makes it um, something that we can see if you're not somebody who wants to just you know, extract words from these long paragraphs. Um, of discourse, we have these diagrams and these images and these illustrations um, from Sky. And so, just to give you an example, here's one uh, that's on the back the back cover of the book, and it's got the Monopoly Man sitting on a throne, and it says King of Kings, Lord of Lords, kind of on that throne behind him. And I'm just describing it in case you're only listening on the audio sermon. And then Jesus comes along and he says, "I think you're in my seat." Monopoly man. Uh, so it's this idea of, you know, whether whether money is king or Jesus is king. And so there's all kinds of illustrations like that um, throughout throughout this book. But um, before we before we get into that, I'm just noticing that I'm I'm feeling a little bit cold in here, and if only I had some way to warm up. Gosh, maybe I should turn down the air conditioning. There's no one else here. Oh, you know what? Thankfully, Rebecca got me something yesterday. It's a scarf. It's this beautiful scarf that uh, I guess she she got it. Oh, and it has my favorite team on. And they won yesterday. And it's Rico's favorite team too. Oh my goodness. Wow. It's the perfect scarf. It's just going to like keep me warm. And um, in case I get too cold, it, it even mentions like faith. So I guess it's a good um, scarf for church, being, being faithful. Um, and it really matches my Aloha shirt really well. And so now I'm warm. Wow. Now, being the fan of a sports team is a little bit awkward sometimes. If you've ever had to decide when are you going to be public or when are you going to be um, private about your team, right? It's kind of awkward. Like, uh, do I show which team I like? Cause I know my friend likes the other team. Uh, what if you're a Packers fan? I don't know. What if the Niners had won, had not won yesterday, probably wouldn't be wearing this, but, uh, thank you, Rebecca, for finding this at the thrift store. What a, what a great gift, but this does relate to the message because in a similar way with our, our favorite teams or the, or the things that we really love and care about, um, our faith can be something that isn't always easy to decide when are we going to wear it? When are we going to be public about it? And then it's kind of risky. And when is it better just to like, okay, we get it. You're a fan of this team, but um, not everyone's a fan of that team. So maybe it's time to take off the, the scarf. And so Sky Jatani has this illustration that I want to show you in the book that's based on our passage today. Oh, by the way, here is a, a family photo. I, I forgot to mention this. Theo and I got to go in August right before school started. This was a great, a great time um, where we could be 49ers fans because everyone in the stadium pretty much was a fan. And so it's, you know, you're supposed to wear your, your loud, obnoxious sporting gear. Um, so, but the rest of the world isn't a stadium like this. So how do we decide when I'm, when are we going to be more public and when are we going to keep it, keep it more private? And so 
that's the first point in our message today is discerning. Uh, being salt and light means discerning what to make public and what to keep private. Because on one hand, we could say, well, doesn't it say, let your light shine? You know, that's pretty public. Um, Jesus says a city on a hill can't be hidden, so we should be public about our faith, right? Yes. Um, however, if we look at this graphic that's in the book, there's also a verse here that I'll highlight here in the bottom left corner, which is in the very next chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Hmm. So on one hand, we're supposed to let our light shine, but we're also supposed to do certain things in secret. In fact, Jesus has a whole section in the next chapter about, you know, being uh, private in certain situations when you're praying, when you're giving money, when you are fasting so that you're not making a big show of it. And the way that Sky Jatani helps us to understand it with this uh, little image here is that we need to discern when to be public, when to be private about our faith, because there's a time for both, right? If we're always private about it, then how do we let the light shine? But if we're always public about it, then that can also draw attention to us in the wrong way. And so what he does is he has this little line in the middle here of a spectrum between does it benefit me or does it benefit others? And I know this might be hard to see, but these are like little doors that say private. Um, there's these three doors here and then there's a light in the top right corner. So if it benefits me, then probably it's better to keep it private because it's not supposed to be about me um, to show off how amazing I am of doing good works for God. Um, but if it's going to benefit others, and if it's going to make God look good, then that's where you get to this light quadrant here, where we let our light shine, because it puts the spotlight on God, and it benefits other people. Um, so that's part of how we discern what it means um, to be salt and light, making things public at the right time, making things private at the right time. And I think a healthy Christian life, as we see from Jesus himself, as well as the disciples, you know, there were times when they were private about it um, because it wasn't the right time. And they were, you know, even Jesus, right at the, at the uh, wedding situation where he turned water into wine. Initially he was like, ah, this is not my time yet. Um, and there were times when he could have done more miracles, but he did not, even though at the, the water into wine situation, he did. But in other situations, he told them, um, it's not my time yet. I, I am not um, ready for the full-on public con conflict yet, because he knew that that would pay a certain price, and he wanted to do that at a certain time. And so in a similar way, we have to be thoughtful about is this, is this for me? Is this for others? Is this to make me look good? Or is this to make God look good? So that's the first point, um, discernment. And then secondly, you know, the question would be, how do we put this into practice? And I want to share quick, quickly two examples um, from my work with InterVarsity, where I work on campuses around Hawaii, and I specifically focus on two types of people on campus, graduate students and faculty, or people who work for the university. They could be staff of the college. 
Um, and in some of these environments, of course, you want to keep your faith private. You're encouraged to keep your faith private. And yet the people I work with also want to share the good news in an appropriate way and find other Christians to pray with and, and support them. Um, but they also are conscious of their reputation and the conscious of the, the culture of the university system. And so one of, one of them had this brilliant idea because she wanted to be available to her students um, who might have some, not just Christian background, but some other belief in God. Um, but she didn't want to just say, hey, welcome to my class. I believe in God. So she has this thing on her syllabus where it says um, all this information about the class. And then it has this little line that says, um, I don't reply to emails on Sundays because it's my Sabbath day. And that's it. You know, it doesn't say what faith she's in or whatever, but it's like, this is a Sabbath day. And so that can be a, a signal to people that, hmm, this person is a person of faith and maybe I can talk to them if I have questions or want to figure out um, how my faith relates to what we're learning in in the class. Another example is um, a professor who is in the performing arts and he, you know, leads rehearsals in different times of the week. And there were some students who were, you know, in a smaller uh, rehearsal group that were trying to find time to practice. And it just so happened that those students um, said to the professor, yeah, we, we definitely want to find the right time to rehearse together, but uh, we, we go to church on Sundays, so can we find a different time besides Sunday morning? So the students shared that with him, and then he's like, oh my goodness, I didn't know they were church-going people. So he says, well, actually, um, that's great because I'm a church-going person too, um, and by the way, since you shared that with me, I can um, introduce you to this um, university group if you want to meet other Christian students. And so because the students were brave enough to share that, okay, yeah, we'd rather not practice on Sunday mornings. We can, but we'd rather not because, you know, there were several of them that go to church. And then the professor was brave enough to say, okay, well, you know, I actually share that value with you. And here's a way for you to get connected with some um, ministries on campus. Like those are very appropriate ways to shine your light in a way that's, you know, private sometimes and public sometimes using that discernment. The second thing, point number two, is that we recognize both evangelism and justice are integral to God's mission. That's the second thing that salt and light means. We recognize that both evangelism and justice are integral to God's mission. Now, these words get used in different ways. So I'm going to give you a really short definition. And again, this comes from uh, Sky Jatani's book. He says, evangelism can be summarized as a call to individual reconciliation with God, the idea of Jesus coming into my heart like I understood as a child and still believe. Um, justice is the call to social reconciliation between people. And throughout the ministry of Jesus, throughout the teachings of Jesus, and I would even say throughout the Bible, we see that both of these matter, and they're both integral. They, you can't really separate, you know, connection with God from connection with people. Uh, but sometimes what Christians try to do 
uh, with, with good intentions, but this happens, is we have to put one in front. We, we want the train to be driven by something. And it's hard to emphasize both. So we'll say things like, well, we got to put justice first because we have to combat evil in the world so that people will believe our message. And so in this image, you see uh, the justice locomotive is driving the train with evangelism coming behind. Or the other way to do it is you can put evangelism first. And some people say, and, and they get into big debates about this. This is a real issue. Perhaps you're familiar with it. Uh, lives must be transformed by the gospel first, then the world will be changed. Have you ever heard that before? Well, we can't you know, make any big changes because it's really just one person at a time. That's this idea of the evangelism train, um, at evangelism at the front of the train with justice following. And what Sky is saying, based on this idea of salt and light in his book, he says, love is actually what needs to drive the train. And then if justice comes next, so be it. If evangelism comes next, so be it. Um, but love must come first and, and motivate every aspect of our mission because that's the heart of God. In fact, of all the things that the Bible says about God, only love is the one where it says God is love. God is holy, but God is not holiness. God is, you know, uh, um, perfect, but love is the way that the Bible describes God most uh, clearly and distinctly. So everything flows from that love, whether it's justice, whether it's healing, whether it's evangelism, whether it's discipleship, whether it's mercy, uh, compassion, it flows from love. And so that's what drives the train. Moving on. One more quote here from John Stott, who says, we should never, uh, oh, I don't know why this is not showing for me. There we go. We should never put our two vocations to be salt and light, our Christian social and evangelistic responsibilities over and against each other as if we have to choose between them because the world needs both. Um, so he's doing a little interpretation here, um, which is one way to interpret it, which is that he would say the salt is more like the social side and the light is more like the evangelistic side, um, which makes sense because the salt has to do with um, making things better, making things taste better. But metaphorically, that would just mean making things work better in the world. Um, and it's something that anybody can experience, whether they have seen the light or not like you could have a tasty sandwich in the dark right because that salt is just making it good or, or those chips that pastor cheryl talked about earlier right salt is just something that helps um things to be better and if you think about the way salt was used in ancient times as a preservative you know salt was like a refrigerator it was something that helped uh, the food to last longer against decay and a lot of the work of compassion and justice uh, for example, if it's helping refugees or if it's helping orphans, it's not necessarily fixing their lives to make them perfect, but it's it's delaying the decay and it's helping reduce the harm. It's helping to um, make things better off than they otherwise would be if there was no intervention to help those populations. And so John Stott is saying the salt can't be separated from the light because the light is just as important 
as the salt and the world needs both just like Jesus emphasizes both. And if you're thinking that, you know, this topic of justice is just being inserted into the Bible, um, I would encourage you to really consider how much the Bible talks about issues of money, how much the Bible talks about the way um, countries treat each other and the way that rulers lead and the way that the vulnerable are protected. Those are all issues of justice. Sometimes we can spiritualize it and think, well, the Bible is only about my personal relationship with God. And I would say, have you read the Bible? Is it really just about you and God? Or is it about so much more that flows from love? It's not either or, it's, it's both, it's both. And so I don't want to be on a soapbox about justice just because I care about it personally. I, I want it to be because it's something that I find when I you know, read scripture with an open mind and listen to the words of Jesus with an open mind and see where does he take the conversation? What does he care about? And often we'll see that he keeps these two things together. All right, finally, our, our, our last point, being salt and light, it means we look for ways to have a light Christ influence on those around us. We look for ways to have a light Christ influence on those around us. Why do I say light Christ instead of Christ-like? Well, number one, it stands out more if you say light Christ, I think. Um, but second, this is who we are as Wellspring. It reminds us of, uh, shout out to TJ for the new website, but on our redesigned website, we have our values right there where it says that as a church, um, why we exist, our purpose is to be mending, equipping, releasing. Uh, we want to be mending, equipping, releasing disciples of Jesus who are beloved in Christ, becoming like Christ, there's the like Christ, and building, building God's kingdom with Christ. We want to be in Christ, we want to be like Christ, and we want to be with Christ. And so we want to have that like Christ influence. Sometimes things that are called Christ-like are really not necessarily the way Jesus would do it, but we want to be like Christ. We want to do things the way he would. Um, as it says here in the last verse of our teaching, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. It has to do with how you live, your deeds. It's not just about saying the right thing. It's about how we um, treat each other. And the final picture I wanna show from this, from this little book is uh, what Skyjitani refers to as this uh, difference between cultural engagement and cultural protectionism. And depending on your screen, it might be kind of hard to see the colors, but there's a little yellow dot here that I'm pointing to that says Christian influence. And in the cultural protectionism approach, which is on the bottom, um, you may have, have seen this before, where the idea is, well, we just make our homes and our churches as Christian as possible and defend ourselves from the world. And then the world, you know, is just kind of left to be. Um, and so the words are kind of small here, but it says household and church here. And then these would be the other segments of society like education, social sector, government, business, media, arts, and entertainment. And it's the idea of like, well, we just need to protect what we have and let the world go to pot because, you know, that's the devil's domain and we need to protect our households and, and the church. 
Um, and what Sky is saying that this is not salt and light. Um, this is kind of a fortress mentality, whereas salt and light is to say, well, yes, it starts in our homes and our churches, um, which may or may not be like Christ necessarily, but we want it to be part of all aspects of life. So you can see here on the diagram that there are little dots in education, in social sector, in government, in business, in media, in arts and entertainment. Um, sometimes those dots are harder to see than others. And there's a lot of debate about how to influence, which is for another sermon. But for now, just think about salt and light. Just think about what would it look like for the light and the good news of Jesus to be shared in an appropriate, healthy, loving way that really does make things taste better, makes things work better, makes relationships um, more healthy in whatever, whatever part of culture and society it is. And many of you are already doing this. Uh, I'm preaching to the choir here because many of you are already in business. You're in government. You work in social services, education, media. Um, you are artists. And, and you are already an influence there, a Christ-like influence, an influence that shows God's heart of welcome and forgiveness and how it's not about money. It's not about status, hopefully. It's not about trying to just, you know, get as much pleasure as you can um, from the world, but it's about sh sharing and giving um, giving others what you have received from God. So as we think about, about salt and light today, um, I want us to just close by thinking about how does this apply to me in my specific sphere, in my week? You know, maybe it's just on Zoom. Maybe it's with my family. Um, how can I be more like Christ? Maybe it's just being more patient with the kids. Maybe it's just being um, a little bit more quick to listen and slow to speak. Or maybe it's really the time to be public in a way that you haven't been before with somebody who's similar to your you know, favorite football team. It's worth asking someone else like, oh, do you have a favorite football team? And the spiritual equivalent would be, do you have a faith tradition or background? Do you have any spiritual beliefs? Um, and find out, start that conversation when it's appropriate and be bold enough to find out where someone else is. Cause a, they might also be a believer and you can have another level of connection or B it can lead um, to a really healthy conversation about who Jesus is to you. You're not imposing it on them. You're just saying why your faith matters. You know, why, why am I a fan? Um, why does this, matter to me. And that can be, that can certainly be, be challenging. And as pastors, we're here to help you with that. And as I said before, I am not the expert at being outside of the Christian bubble because I've often been in the bubble. Um, I'm really thankful for my seven, seven or eight years I spent in social work, uh, where I was able to at least have non-Christian friends and coworkers. Uh, I wasn't working for InterVarsity or a church. Um, and I hope to still connect with those, those relationships. But for those of you who do not work in a Christian 
um, organization. That is a tremendous uh, gift and opportunity. It's a place for us pastors to learn what is that like, um, and how is it that you we can hopefully see more more of those worlds overlap. So it's not just your faith is over here, and then the rest of your life is over here. But how do we see the salt and the light start to bring things together and be more be more integrated, um, so that we're caring about individuals as well as groups and organizations and ultimately this, this whole world. So let's pray. Laura, that was a lot. And at the end of the day, we just want to be like Christ. We want to know your heart, your mission, and to be part of that, to be part of the sowing, to be part of the mending. Lord, show us, Holy Spirit, when to be public, when to be private. Show us when we need to you know, look to reconcile with others as well as point to reconciliation with you. Show us when to be a witness through evangelism and when to be a witness through justice. Help us to have the kind of influence that you have had on us for good. And so we pray all these things in your name. Amen.